Hello, you're very welcome to The Week That Really Was with John McGurk and Sarah Ryan. It is, we're recording, I should say, on the 13th of April, 2023, on the day that US President Joe Biden has just addressed the Joint Houses of the Oireachtas. It has been, I have to say, a week for people who are connoisseurs of owl guff. There has been no shortage of owl guff in relation to the visit, and we'll discuss some of that. We also wanted to have a discussion, which we haven't had on this show for a while, about the state of the parties in Ireland. There was a big opinion poll last weekend, which purported to show a a major change uh, in the direction of Sinn Féin. We're going to talk about that and some other developments. But first, Sarah, how are you? How's how's life? How's the week? Grant, yeah. Can't complain. Kids are on Easter holidays, so I'm looking forward to that being over on Monday. Uh, (laughs) What a wonderfully maternal sentiment that is. I I know. I used to think women who said that were really horrible, but... It's actually very intense to keep a six-year-old and a four-year-old entertained all day, every day, especially when it's been raining all week. I'm married to a teacher who sometimes, uh, she'd probably kill me for saying this, but she sometimes, um, in her more depressed moments about the profession, says that parents sometimes see schools as more of a child-minding service than educational service. I think there's something Well, my mother was a teacher, and she used to say that exact same thing. That's for sure. (laughs) So anyway... Have you been, uh, I'm looking forward, I have to say, to the week being over because, and the kids being back at school, because there's been no news this week. And when you're in the business of editing a news website, as I am, the absence of news is a problem. And basically, all there has been this week is the arrival of the 82-year-old President of the United States, who's been here uh, celebrating the black and tans, um, getting, barked <laughs> at by the, getting barked at by the President's dog. Uh, getting licked by Irish politicians. It's been a, it's been a, it's been an interesting um, week. Don't to forget observe. getting burned by Paul Murphy. Got <laughs> burned by Paul Murphy. I'm sure he's devo. I, I know, I know. It's it's terrible. Paul Murphy boycotted the speech today, which I think Joe Biden it'll stand, it'll stick with him to his dying day and his deathbed. He'll say, "I should have changed U.S. foreign policy and let Paul Murphy into the room to watch me speak." Anyway, have you been paying much attention to it? Not really. Not unlike yourself, I don't really like that whole diddly eye diddly eye shtick that we fall into every time there's a whiff of an American president around. I think it's kind of embarrassing. And we never actually we never actually discuss I mean, not to go Paul Murphy on it, but like we never actually discuss anything, really. You know what I mean? It's just all photos of people drinking Guinness and us hamming up the Irish gig as much as possible. And it's all a bit like cool, whatever, like he's come over here, but it's all a bit cringe for the most part. Well, I'll tell you, you something. Me? I'll tell you something. In a couple of weeks now, there's an event across the water where the the Archbishop of Canterbury will be setting the crown on on Charlie's head and uh, coronating him as King of the United Kingdom, which is all fine and good. But I swear, if I see one Irish journalist, and I will, talking about the in a sort of sneering tone about the obsequiousness of the British and like you know how they're bending the knee and they're Oh, you all the guff we get about that in some sections. I mean, if any of them have the neck to try that after the display this week, um, I just want to read the reader, the the listeners, something that appeared in in Politico um, this week. Politico, for those who don't know, is one of the biggest US political websites, basically covers Capitol Hill and the Senate and the presidency. And, you know, it's in-depth. If you're a, a fan of American politics, you're reading Politico. This is what it said about uh, the Irish media. The unrelentingly pro-Biden coverage on state broadcaster RTE, which televised his speech live, didn't acknowledge the mistake. This is the black and tans thing. 
The commentators sign off, quote, well, that's Joe Biden, a little bit sentimental, a little bit schmaltzy, but a thoroughly decent guy and a great friend to Ireland. Trip is off to a great start. I mean, there's not much objectivity there. There's not much detachment from the story. There's not much standing back and looking at the big picture. It is, we love this guy and we want him to love us too. Yeah, but sure. Is that not a kind of a shining example of the problem with our media in general? Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like that if you're on the right side and you're you're saying the right things and you're doing and you're you're of the right opinions, you know, you can you, you will be unquestioned forevermore on anything. Well, I'm just I mean, I like I, I, I kind of like, for example, found it fascinating how little coverage it got in the last week about the Dalai Lama asking a child to suck his toe. <laughs> Words I thought I'd never say. That was just Did weird, though. That? I mean, I saw it. I saw it. And it's one of those things, Do you know, sometimes there are, are videos that, you know, you see the description of them and you're just like, eh, I ain't watching that shit. Yeah, no, I, I actually that, didn't. Yeah, <laughs> that was that was it for me. I saw a still. I saw a still of the Dalai Lama and the child. And I thought to myself, yeah, yeah. that's I don't need don't need to watch the video. Don't need, it's like the the awful other video this week, which is the, the beheading of a Ukrainian soldier. I'm not, sure, I'm not watching that either. I mean, there's something. You no, just, no. Obviously, very different thing, but you don't. Some things you just don't need to see. You don't need to go to bed at night with with, with certain images. Yeah, no, I totally head. agree. Totally uh, agree. And there's also like I've noticed actually, funnily enough, on Twitter in the last few months, and I've noticed that there's a lot more videos coming up on my Twitter of like guy gets stabbed in street in America, man gets you know like this kind of violent stuff, and I never watch it because I think it gets into your. It gets into your head and like, you know, it'll appear in a horrific way in a dream three weeks later or something. So I don't watch it. But what I just do find fascinating is if somebody who was on the wrong side of anything, be it Donald Trump or be it a Catholic priest or bishop or something like that had done that, it would have filled miles of column space Hmm. for weeks, for weeks. If it had been Pope Francis. Yeah. Um, Can you imagine um, it, it's just uh, look, it, but like you know, it's it's like another thing that happened this week, which was that the INTO passed a motion. Um, oh, so yeah. we're getting a little bit off topic now, but the the INTO yeah. the INTO passed a motion this week about um, the teaching of sex education in schools, in which they criticised as transphobic the Catholic Primary Schools Management Association for their statement a couple of weeks ago that you know that the kids basically shouldn't be taught that gender is a choice at a young age. Um, what was fascinating about that was two things. Number one, the motion had to be debated and passed in secret because we were told of an impending threat from the far right. I mean, Yaki Rocker? I mean, they really thought people were going to break into the hall and batter them with baseball bats or something? It's hysterical stuff. Um, but secondly, uh, on the sa- on, in, in terms of what you were saying, I mean, the I don't know if you recall, but at the time the Catholic Primary Schools Management Association issued that statement, the Islamic Council of Ireland, I believe, issued mm-hmm. a very similar statement. And there yeah. was a distinct lack of, lack of criticism of those lads in the INTO's uh, motion this weekend. They criticised one organisation by name, the one that's safe to criticise, but there wasn't a word at all for what the uh, Islamic clerics had said. Well, here's the thing, John, that ultimately, and I'm very confident in making this statement now, like after what I've observed in the last few weeks, that people who are concerned about gender ideology being taught to children in primary school are not far right and they can keep calling them far right all they like but Mm -hmm. they're not and it's not working anymore 
and that the view and the the you know like the amount of people who are frightened to say anything about this issue and not speaking up is dwindling by the day and frankly unfortunately for the other side most people I know when it comes to their kids myself included don't really care if you call me a transphobe yeah, and I don't, it doesn't it doesn't work anymore. I don't care if somebody calls me a transphobe anymore. I'm going to have conversations about what my kids are being taught in school. And if you don't like it, that's just too bad. Yeah. And the other thing is, as, as I often say to the, 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 the like, you know, and I suppose if you're if you're paid to combat the far right, this doesn't matter. The more far right, the more books you get. But at some point, if you tell people you are far right, if you believe A, B and C, they just shrug their shoulders and go, all right, far right, I am. So. Yeah. Yeah, but, the, but that didn't happen a year ago, John. A year ago, far right was like scary thing to be called and whatever. And I'm noticing increasingly now people are like, well, if that's what I am, then well, fine. Call me far right if that's what makes it. It doesn't work. It's not working anymore because, you know, there's, it's, there's been a long time of people on a certain side of certain of specific issues like this one who have gotten away for a long time without ever being called out on anything, without ever being questioned, without ever being debated. And at the end of the day, like the time has come now where people want to start having conversations about this in schools and if they don't like it well tough on that note actually i want to just touch on this briefly before i move on will you be buying your sports bras from dylan mulvaney <laughs> uh, uh woman face is that well, that's what we're, that's what we're, that's the shtick now woman face we're celebrating his 365th day of being a girl yeah, well, I've noticed that there's a trend on Twitter, which I'm absolutely loving, which is women talking about. I think I, I, I don't I don't want to give my age away, even though I've said I'm 39 multiple times and I'm not going to multiply 39 by 365. But whatever it is, that's how many days I've been a, a woman and I've had three children, multiple pregnancies, breastfed my children and done lots of other things. And they're not things that any man can do. So th- that that's the, the reality for me. I think Dylan Mulvaney being put out there. Uh, you know what? I'm actually not going to say anything specifically about that person because I don't want to be cruel. And I think that like a lot of people, you know, like Matt Walsh and people like that, they're kind of mean and I don't like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think but I think that, you know, wearing woman face as a kind of a marketing tool and, you know, prancing around as if women don't know how to exercise and don't know what sports are and don't know what beer is. And, you know, like. I'm old enough to remember when the parody of a woman being thick was offensive. And it's just that again, dressed up in a different way. For me, and I, I actually agree with you, Matt Walsh, and, and, and there's there's no need to be unnecessarily cruel. Yeah. But I, but I will say about this particular individual, and it's not, not a reflection of not, not, that any desire to be mean to them, that I was struck by the ad that was done for, for Bud Light, which is a beer, um, where the, the character portrayed was this kind of ditzy 1950s American Stepford wife who was like, oh, they told me it was about a sports event and there's a big sports event on this week. I didn't know what March Madness was. If you're an American, mm-hmm. you don't know what March Madness is. For those who don't know, it's a basketball tournament, college basketball tournament played every March. But in the US, it's basically like the All-Ireland final, right? It's massive. Yeah. Um, and, and this pretense that, you know, I'm just a girl. I don't know about sports. You know, Dylan Mulvaney, know, Mulvaney knows about sports. And I mean, this, this, and it is, he's playing a particular stereotype of a clueless, girly um, female who doesn't understand the offside rule in football. It's, it's, it, I can see why it will be very offensive. And it's, 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 you know, I understand why women feel as strongly as they do. And I think in time, these brands are going to learn that women feel as strongly as they do. But anyway, yeah, I agree. Um, let's get into the meat of the podcast, which was 
be about the state of the parties. There was a poll um, at, um, in last Sunday, Sunday Times, uh, which suggested there had been a 15-point swing, now obviously uh, not a 15-point swing directly, but a 15-point shift in support between Fine Gael and Sinn Féin, with, if I recall, it might have these figures wrong, but as I recall, Fine Gael collapsing to about 15 16%, and Sinn Féin hitting something like 37%. It got tongues wagging. I wrote a piece on Monday saying I wasn't necessarily convinced by the poll, because I think, you know, it's a bit of an outlier. I'd like to see another one confirm that trend. But still, um, fair to say, except tongues wagging in Leinster House. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, like, I mean, there's trends and then there's polls. And as you say, the trend has been in Sinn Féin's direction for a while. But, you know, there's not really a clear relationship for me between what, you know, caused that swing. Like, what happened that made Sinn Féin suddenly so palatable i i i am not 100% convinced of it but what i am convinced of is that we're long past the point that Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael should be like sitting up and paying attention to these polls and it never ceases to amaze me how and why they don't um i like if i was a, a young Fianna Fáil TD or even more so you know depending on the timing somebody who was planning on running in the local elections is it a year just slightly over a year from now Mm-hmm. I would be extremely concerned about the fact that potentially both for Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael, Irish, the Irish public have many a time used local elections or presidential or, you know, referendums as a way to bitch slap whoever they're annoyed in into next week electorally. And I'd be very concerned if I was a member of Fianna Fáil or Fianna Gael planning on running in the next local election or to keep my seat or retain a seat in the next general election as to what on earth the plan is strategically for both of these parties for the next general election. Because both of them the last time ran abysmal election campaigns. Fianna Fáil didn't even bother to change their slogan. And they just ran the same election that they'd run previous time and thought it was their turn and they'd obviously just win. And that didn't happen. And I think that the worst thing that can happen after the next election is that Sinn Féin get an, a huge amount of seats, can't cobble together a government with the other lefties, whoever's, whoever is elected as well. And that Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael somehow managed to cobble something together again. I think it's bad for democracy. I think it will only in, in, embolden cynicism, the cynics of politics and it's just terrible all around for everyone. So I wish they'd get their act together, but both of them, by the way. I mean, obviously I have more of a vested interest in Fianna Fáil, but like both of them, like I don't understand why they don't get their act together and start doing something. I just see, it just seems to me like they've all given up. But you see, for me... Like I think the, the the detachment of those two parties from the electorate is summed up by by the leader of Fianna Fáil because I, I don't think, I mean, nobody in Ireland has ever really pointed out the damage that he did to his own party's standing. I know they didn't, they weren't the ones to take the battering in the most recent opinion poll, but at the last election, he stood in front of the cameras on multiple occasions. He looked down those cameras, he talked directly to the Irish people, and he said, "We will not go into government with Fine Gael." A vote for Fianna Fáil is a vote to get Fine Gael out of government. And then yeah. he immediately broke his word. Immediately. Mm-hmm. And by the way, Fianna Fáil has never, Fianna Fáil lost a chunk of support after that. Now, a chunk of support might only have been 4 or 5% of the total electorate, but they lost a chunk of support which they have never been able to win back. And there's a sense about, about them, whether it's fair or unfair, and I happen to think it's perfectly fair, about both parties, that they are cynical and self-interested. And I would go further than you in that I think even the support that they retain 
is a mile wide and a couple of inches deep at most. I think there's a huge chunk of the electorate out there who feel a lot like um, somebody I was talking to about two weeks ago said to me, um, I, I probably end up voting something like Independent 1, Fine Gael 2, not because I particularly like the government, but because I, I, you know, as bad as they are, Sinn Féin would be worse. I think there's a lot of people out there who are sticking with them in the polls out of fear of a Mary Lou McDonald government. And there are obviously people out there who will say that's ridiculous, Mary Lou would be great. That's your opinion. Other people have a different opinion. Um, yeah, but also I don't think, I mean, and I'm not like, I'm no fan of Sinn Féin for all, all kinds of reasons. And, you know, I think that people will, you know, show ERSI report, ESRI reports and, you know, different things from different stockbrokers talking about how they're advising their investors to take all their money and, and all these spooky things. But I just don't think that that really, that, 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 that shtick isn't going to work anymore. Obviously, people are, you know, there's an entire generation of people who just simply don't have the same memory of, you know, what's happened in, on the island of Ireland vis-a-vis Sinn Féin. There's also an entire block of people who are just completely fed up. And, and all of those constituencies of people all added together are making Sinn Féin support grow. And I think that the, oh, spooky, spooky Sinn Féin, where are all the bodies buried? Yeah, 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 shtick is just tired and not going to work anymore. And also, Surely you should have a bit more pride in your party and what your party stands for. And your party should have a vision for the future of Ireland that people can get behind. That's more than just don't vote for us because the others are baddies and we're better. Mm -hmm. Like have a bit of pride in what you stand for. But there isn't. There's just scary this and scary that. And you're right that Michal stood there and said we wouldn't go in with Fine Gael, which was completely absurd because he also said he wouldn't go in with Sinn Féin. So what was he expecting? An overall majority? Like, how was that going to work? It wasn't. It shows how completely off the wall his idea of how many seats Fianna Fáil was going to get if they just wandered around and said an Ireland for all a few times and totally under overestimated their support. So here we are now. For what it's worth, I think what he was thinking, for what it's worth, is that Fianna Fáil was going to be the largest party, Fine Gael the second largest party, as has always been the case. Sinn Féin were going to do well and come in third, and he was going to be the historic Irish statesman who would bring Sinn Féin into government with Mary Lou as Tánaiste, give them some difficult ministries and put a bit of manners on them. I think that's what he was thinking. And I think that gave him a of manners. Do you think I'm wrong? No, no, that's a good, <laughs> a good theory, yeah. I, I mean, I think I, but I think that, like you know, I think that Mihal was spending a lot more time measuring his, you know, desk for the Taoiseach's office than he was on actually thinking about what the government would look like, what policy would look like, what the state would look like after the fact, and that's the problem. And people can smell that, and they mm-hmm. don't like it. And if Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael cobbled together a government again after the next general election, potentially doing worse than they even did last time, it's terrible for both parties. Now, what I will say is that I think that, you know, and I know, because we're both old enough at this point and been like, you know, observers of politics for long enough to know that elections are funny things and elections can sometimes be about issues that you never anticipated they would be about before the fact. Do you know what I mean? So Mm -hmm. we think today that the next general election will be run predominantly on, let's say, health, housing and, you know, a bit of a couple of other things. But something could happen in the meantime, let's say, for argument's sake, you know, hopefully not, but some kind of, you know, 
incident regarding criminality or something high profile could happen and all of a sudden the entire election or 50% of the election could be run on a, on a, on what your uh, law and order policy is. Do you know what I mean? So we don't really know. And obviously if that were to happen, it's really bad for Sinn Féin because they don't really have the, you know, the whatever. They don't have the good standing, let's say, to be diplomatic on that issue. Um, I but, don't know. I don't know if I agree with you there because I, I, I'll tell you one thing. Um, I don't think the current parties have a lot, the current governing parties have a lot to say on, for example, the issue of law and order. And I think there's a certain kind of voter out there who would think, tell you what about the Shinners, at least at least the criminals will be afraid of them. You know, I think there's a there's a, there's a, there's a degree of that. But I think your bigger point is correct because people forget the current Sinn Féin surge sometimes feels like it's been around forever. But I, I think one thing that's often forgotten about the last election is the significance that the row about commemorating the the Royal Irish Constabulary a couple of weeks before the election had. God, yeah, I forgot that. about that. You, yeah, people forget about that. But like Sinn Féin were going nowhere and then and then um, Cahill Crow, who presumably thought he'd benefit from it, and he, I suppose <laughs> he elected, but he was the one to raise this big ruckus about commemorating the RIC. Um, Fianna Fáil didn't gain in the polls from that, but another party did, and they haven't really let go of that since. Yeah, well, what I mean is, you're absolutely right, and don't eat, like, don't even get me started that neither Fianna Gael nor Fianna Fáil have any standing on the law and order issue at the moment. But I'm talking about a scenario where an event happens that mm-hmm. affects the election in a major way. Maybe law and order is a bad example, but you know what I mean. We don't like the election could go w- one way or the other. But what what's bad news for Fianna Fáil and what I would be concerned about is that I think it's very very possible, in fact, more probable that the election is formulated around a couple of issues where it becomes a choice between Fine Gael and Sinn Féin. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that, like, Michal's time as Taoiseach and the time that Fianna Fáil have had, you know, some good cabinet positions has actually done anything to change that trajectory. And I think that, like, it'd be, I'd be really concerned that Fine Gael will, you know, formulate some kind of good campaign and Fianna Fáil will be is so mitered in internal fighting and who's going to be the next leader and whether or not people are going to take out Hall and what job Hall is secretly going for and all that nonsense and whether Bertie Earn is running for president and all of that internal squabbling and nonsense will mean that somebody will wake up three weeks before the general election and go hold on lads what slogan are we using what we do what, what oh oh my god we need loads of women let's just throw loads of people on that we don't and 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 it's a complete disaster and well, that's I, re- like a really big concern for me. I don't know. I, I, you you obviously come from a Fianna Fáil background and your affinity with the party. I don't really have a strong affinity with either despite having worked with and been a member of various times of both, uh, which people never let me forget. But I suppose naturally, if I if you, I am naturally a blue shirt. That is what I should be. I mean, like I'm a, I'm, I'm a law and order, uh, pro-big farmer, scion of, of sort of like, you know, people who were pro-treaty back in the day. Um, who, you know, a bit of a West Brit, all of that sort of stuff. <laughs> I I should be a natural Fine Gael voter. I should be the kind of... Uh, they, I'll tell you something, they can't win me back. Because at this stage, nothing... Uh, it, Leo Varadkar does this. He comes out in the campaign and he says something sort of a bit rad and a bit right-wing and a bit, you know, you know we're different, we represent you guys. No, you don't. And don't tell me, fool me once, shame on me. I am not voting for them at the next election. I don't care if it is a choice between Paul Murphy and Leo Varadkar. I'm not voting for Leo Varadkar. It's not happening. Um, I will vote for somebody else. I mean, I, I voted for Matty McGrath last time, and on that topic, I'll probably vote for him again. Because yeah. my my theory about the next election is that there's this 
you know, if you talk to Fianna Fáilers and Fianna Gaelers, they say, oh yeah, well, well the campaign, we'll, we'll bring people back during the campaign. I think go the other way. I think they could get obliterated during a campaign. Because I think there's a lot of people who are sick of them. And a lot of people who might look yeah. around and see, is there another option here that isn't the Shinners? That isn't these guys that I can vote for? And on that note, I thought it was really significant. I'm not sure whether it'll happen. But I thought it was really significant this week that the Rural Independent Group, Michael Collins in particular, announced that those guys are considering forming, I don't know whether you'd say it was a political party or an alliance, or so, but some, some kind of formal entity where they can run other candidates and try and get votes. I think, particularly in rural Ireland where I am, there's a hunger for somebody who is pro-beef, pro-car, and anti-woke. Um, and I, I think in, in, in those circumstances, there are a lot of people who might suddenly find that they voted FF and FG for a long time, but not this time. And does ANTU not offer that? <laughs> they do. And, and I mean, I, 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 you know, I think that, I mean, if Patter Tobin runs a candidate in this constituency, he'll be, getting, he'll be getting a very high preference, if not the highest preference from me. Um, mm. But uh, I, I do think, and you know, I, I'm not saying anything here that I haven't said to any two people in private when they ask me my views. I think that party is just sometimes a little bit slow to, to hop on issues of concern. Um, so, for example, there's a big gap in the market where there was a couple of months ago over immigration, and I thought they, they had an opportunity to to really speak up for people there. And they did eventually, but they were slow to do it. Um, and I think sometimes yeah. they're just a little bit cautious, which I understand. Um, but I mean, that said, Patter Tobin has done amazing work to build that organization. I mean, they're now, I think, in the opinion polls uh, in Connacht Ulster, they're like the fourth party. They're on 8% or something. So they will take seats. They will. Yeah. Um, and I think it just that dynamic that I'm talking about in the election, if you're looking for somebody who isn't Fianna Fáil, isn't Fine Gael, isn't Sinn Féin, into maybe not in Dublin, but in large parts of the country where they have some really good candidates. They have one in Cavan Monaghan. They have another one in, I think it's Cork Northwest. Um, yeah. good candidate in Wexford, good candidate. I mean, they will be attractive to people as well. So there are other options that voters will have in an election campaign that they maybe aren't even thinking about yet. Um, so, so I don't know if uh, if this is rock bottom for the government. I don't think it's anywhere close to rock bottom for the government, to be honest. I think as well on the subject of Aintu, and I don't just I don't say this lightly, but I really like Patter. Like I think that he's really honest. He's very smart. He is absolutely on top of his brief when he's talking about any particular issue. And I hope he does well. I like him. Like I think and I think that there's a there's, there's a space there for that kind of politics. Um, and you're right. Like, I mean, perhaps an election campaign. I mean, why would we assume why anybody would assume that? Oh, in a, in a campaign, like, why would you assume it could only go one way? It could go the complete opposite way. And Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael in the campaign will be expected to account for their track record for, you know, not just this term, but longer. And in a lot of areas, it just ain't great, you know, especially in health and stuff like that. Like, I can't remember if I said this before, but, you know, my sister was a doctor and then, or she is a doctor, but she um came out of working. She was doing the pediatric rotation. She came out and she worked in um contact tracing and, you know, all of the pandemic stuff. and. I remember my sister being a student doctor and doing the pediatric rotation and you go three months in one hospital, three months in the next, three months in the next, whatever. And it's absolutely ludicrous that you are emergency taxed every time you start in a new hospital ah. and you don't get your emergency tax for weeks and weeks. But you're expected to move from Sligo to Donegal or whatever you're going from one hospital to the next and you're broke all the time and you're a doctor. 
And I remember listening to one day to Stephen Donnelly saying, congratulating himself on the radio. My sister had come out of the rotation, was working in contact tracing at this point. And he was saying, oh, we're we're making great progress. We've we've actually now sorted out the situation where people aren't getting emergency attacks when they move to one hospital to the other. And I was like, that should have been a phone call like years ago. That's not something to come on. Do you know what I mean? Like that's like me coming on and saying, you saying, how are you, Sarah? How? And I say, God, John, I had a really busy day today. You know, I brushed my teeth this morning. Well, like, duh. You know what I mean? Like, the, the, the thing is so kind of broken that he thought that that was a great news story, that student doctors were no longer living, like practically impoverished by their emergency tax system for years, that this was now a great news story, that they'd sorted that out finally. Like, so these kind of things, like the state of the health service, the amount of people I heard on the radio today, they were talking about the amount of people on trolleys and beds again. Like, same old, same old. People are bored of it. They're exhausted by it. And they're going to they're gonna vote against it. Like, And there's no, I don't know how a campaign is going to change any of that. One, one backbencher who I won't name to save his blushes said to me at the, the time of the pandemic, um, now, obviously, I recognize there'll be listeners who have different views on what the government did during the pandemic, but I thought it was an instructive comment. He said about the government and the Irish state that, quote, it can do one thing well at a time. And that, for me, sums yeah. it up. I mean, when they really put their backs into it, when they really had to organize a big national effort to enforce the lockdowns, whether you agree with enforcing the lockdowns or not, they did it and they were able to do yeah. it and they, were, and, and they organized the vaccine rollout, which was you know, again, whether you agree with the vaccine or not, it was a fairly well-organized rollout. They did that well. Yeah. But at the same time, um, you, you have to wait. Um, I think it's, is it now over a year to get an NCT? I think it's over a year to get a driving test. Don't don't even think about going for an operation. Um, school Schools are massively overcrowded. We had a situation this week where the government bought um, uh, modular homes for Ukrainians. At a cost of 280 grand each, which is astonishingly high, but actually has nowhere to put the modular homes. So we now own a load of modular homes and have nowhere to put them. I mean, they're called the government. Their job is to govern. And I like I'm like they they can't do it. They are incredibly bad at the actual day-to-day business. Uh, as you say, it should have been a phone call to fix that tax issue for the for for the for the trainee doctors. They just can't do it. All they can do really is is you know, Simon Harris has a TikTok account and he talks a lot about, you know, values. I mean, competence is a value and, and, and they don't seem to have it. And I mean it's yeah, I I, I think But you lot- made the point before, like the size of the health budget and like Simon Harris was Minister for Health at one point, and I remember seeing you making the point somewhere, this is a couple of years ago when he was the Minister for Health saying, you know, that given his CV, he wasn't really qualified to manage, a, you know, a budget that large. Like, his, he, he didn't have any experience. He was he was, he was he was in his late 20s, um, maybe his very early 30s. Uh, and I mean, no disrespect to the man. He, he's, he, yeah. he's a, but he has no education in management, qualification in management. If he was in any big company in the world, he'd be a junior executive. And here we have a country that put him in charge of running an organization larger than NASA. Which is is the scale of the scale of the health service? The Irish health service has a larger budget, more personnel, more complicated governing structures than the organisation which is in charge of putting people on Mars. We put a, put put a twenty nine year old guy in in charge of running it because you know he he's he's good on social media. I mean, but it's they deserve. but it's like yeah yeah, but it's like 
you know, Irish water, like uh, the children's hospital, whatever, like maybe we're, we, we need to kind of have a reality check with ourselves and say, we're a small country and we don't have internally the expertise or the experience to manage large capital projects of this nature. And maybe we say we're going to get somebody like from another country who has experience in this and recruit them in, make part of their contract to train up three people below them and start to like invest in the you know, intellectual capital or the experience capital or whatever you would call it of our workforce beyond taking somebody, for example, like our current city manager in Dublin and just moving them around like to make a complete and utter hames of Dublin city centre and, you know, have no accountability, but also manage large budgets that they didn't have any experience in before. I just think that something is not working and maybe, you know, I don't know, like I worked for Scottish and Southern Energy Abroad, like I said before, like the capital expense, the capital budget on some of those wind farm projects was absolutely massive, like tens and tens of millions. And like there was multiple people with years and years and years of experience rolling out capital projects, working on those, working with me on those projects. And like I learned a lot. I wasn't qualified to, to in the beginning. I got a lot of experience of it. But like the idea that somebody who's 28 would suddenly just be told, well, you're the Minister for Health now. And um, that's great. You just manage all of that. It's it's silly. And we we get what we deserve. Yeah, you know and, what I mean? And, and what did he do as Minister for Health? He, he basically spent all his time announcing new initiatives rather than making the ones we had work. So he, spent, he must have spent far more time, at least in terms of his public pronouncements on free contraception for, for, for women up to the age of 25 than he did on tackling waiting lists. Certainly in terms of the, 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 because that was something that was easy and popular. Announce a new program, put funding in place for easy and popular. Tackling waiting lists, difficult. But there's another yeah. issue as well, which is, is I was talking to Jason O'Mahony, uh, our mutual friend about this during the week, and he made the point, which I think is a very salient one, is that we have governing structures where no one is ever accountable. And he was talking, uh, without talking out of school, I don't think you mind me saying, he was talking about the situation that we talked about last week with the with the book that was uh, approved for kids in school, which was then subsequently unapproved. This book is gay by Juno Dawson. And he asked a basic <laughs> question. Who approved that book? Do, yeah. does somebody somewhere put that book on the list. Who is that person? And there's, a, there's another example, a much bigger one, which is that the Irish Navy has four ships. Four of them. That's all we have. But we can't put any of them to sea at the moment because we don't have the sailors to staff them. So the entire Irish Navy is in port because there's no sailors. Who's responsible for that mess? Who is the person who is actively responsible for the decisions and the lack of investment that, that got us to that point? And can we have their name, please? And can we have them in front of an Iraqis committee to explain what went wrong? Yeah. That'll but never happen. John, that's, but that's like, like I, I'm reminded, you know, as you're talking of another um, career moment for me where um, I was managing a big project in the UK for um uh, it's kind of like big, huge call centers. I won't get into naming who, who it was for, but it was an Irish company that had lots of call centers across the UK. And uh, there was a, there was a, it was a sales team, and there was a, a total amount, and there was a percentage commission. You know, like so, I managed the spreadsheet, I managed the sales calls, I managed the whole thing. And the idea was that we we're going to get the sales up by a certain percentage each week. Whatever, boring. The point was there was an Excel spreadsheet, and I anyone who's listening who's familiar with Excel. Sometimes you have to drag the algor the 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 formula down um through all the boxes. And I didn't on two boxes right at the bottom. So they weren't added to the total, 
if you're following. Mm -hmm. And so the figure for the sales was wrong and it was off by two box amounts above it. Right. Mm -hmm. And I remember the moment where where a senior person, director level came in and said, this is wrong. Who did this? Who did this? And I had to stand up and say, that was me. And and I made a mistake. And my uh, my my spreadsheet is wrong. And it's me. And I got into trouble. Like there was accountability. It was like you we've now presented the wrong figure because of you. And like, do you understand that you have to drag down the formula? Like, you know, not are you stupid? But, you know, like I definitely got like my arse handed to me big time because that's the way the world works all of the time for everybody except for these kind of things in Ireland. Like people get fired in other countries. Like, do you know what I mean? But yeah. not here. In the US, they have congressional committees where people are brought in and question how they ran things. Even in the UK, I mean, even in the UK, the, the, the prime minister every couple of months has to go in front of a common select committee, including members of his own party who treat him like he's the enemy and account for decisions made and money spent and I, T's crossed and I's dotted. Here, we don't have that. We, we just don't have, I mean, the, can you imagine the Taoiseach coming into an Oireachtas committee and being asked hard questions by one of his own backbenchers? It just wouldn't wouldn't be done. It'd be disloyal. Um, you know, so it's uh, yeah. There's there's a whole cultural issue there. Anyway, we kind of got away a little bit there from the topic of the opinion polls, but I do think I do think this government is increasingly in trouble, and I think that this week, coming back to the starting topic of the conversation, which was the Biden visit, kind of it ties into a little bit, I think, as to why they're in trouble, because we've got them going all out over Joe Biden. We've got a national gush fest. We've got all the great and the good at these events. And it's like um, everything else in the country has been forgotten for the week. The, the housing crisis has been forgotten. The health service has been forgotten. It is just complete. Well, you said it yourself, great. John. We're, we're only able to do one good thing at a time. So this week, it's being Irish. Diddly-i, diddly-i, diddly-i. Yeah, well, we'll see what it'll be next week. Anyway, look, I think we'll leave it there. Um, that was the week that really was this week <laughs> next week next week if you were listening last week you may have heard who next week's guest is going to be so I won't say it again because you know you should be rewarded for listening um, every week but we do have an interesting guest coming up next week so I hope you'll tune in for that but in the meantime from Sarah and from me thanks for listening that was the re- week that really was and we will see you again this time next week